Cool. I hadn't seen that before. <laughs> Can we get these uh, center lights on? Thank you. Good morning. Here we are, 9-12. Yesterday was a pretty passionate day and in many ways for a lot of us, just praying, maybe for all of us, as far as thinking, it's been 20 years since that happened. 20 years. And as we look at our nation and as we look at the things that are going on, it's almost like 9-11's been going on for 20 years, it feels like. So I'm going to exhort you, encourage you that our God reigns. No question. So as we're praying, we need to be praying, believing God. Yesterday, our prayer meeting, we had a fantastic time of sharing together about 9-11 and praying. And if we can stay on our knees before God and allow him to speak to us through his word, then we're going to be able to worship him, trust him, believe him, and we're going to be able to walk through this thing together, not divided. And that's what God wants. For The testimony that we have is our unity. By this, our love for each other that unites us in a common purpose, and that is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you, I know a lot of ways that my life doesn't necessarily look like that, <laughs> but through the difficulties that we've gone through, when we come and bow before God, when we worship Him, when we believe Him, when we walk with Him, He changes everything because He changes us. So it's not everyone else that needs changing. I need God to change me. In our book, in our study in Exodus, we're going to be looking at this thing called redemption. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Could you say amen to that? Amen. We've been purchased with a price. And our redemption costs God everything because he loves you. So I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know that this world is not my home. It's not your home as a believer. If you're here watching or you're listening and you don't know this God that we're going to be talking about for the rest of our lives into eternity. If you don't know him, we are praying and asking. Our prayer for you is that you would come to know him. Jesus said, this is eternal life. A lot of times we think of eternal life like this forever thing. Well, eternity has no time. So eternal life is not a quantity, it's a quality. And eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the only true God. By the way, you know that. There's only one true God. The world has a lot of gods out there. We're going to look at gods when God plagues a nation. In part of our study, we're going to be looking at when God plagues a, a nation. And the, the, the judgment of God in Egypt was against the gods of Egypt. They are no match for, for the God, the true and living God. So um, I better get to our study here. Or, but I would like to pray. And just this is the, the day after. Do you know that the day after, 9-12, in our government all throughout, it, was, it shook the foundations of many, many of our government. I wish it had kept shaking it, but it did. It was, it was a very, very troubling, disturbing time. A lot of people came to church, but as I've said before, I think the coronavirus in some ways has been God saying, I'm going to do something permanent in your life, not just temporary one shot, but permanent. The 9-11 did not last. It was a little while people were coming, but then slowly, and thus that's what we're seeing in our nation. So let me pray, and then we'll get into uh, the book. Lord, we love you, and we are here gathered before you, the only true God, to worship you with our very lives. It's our reasonable service of worship. Present our bodies living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to you, which is our reasonable service of worship. 
And so we bow for our nation, Lord, before you. We ask, Lord, that you would turn our nation around. Bring us back to you in repentance and faith. Grant to us, Lord, the petitions of our hearts to you for our loved ones, for our nation, please. We pray your blessing over the word today, this morning, that you would give to us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, that we might leave this place having encountered you in your word, in truth, that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So to do, uh, I want to read this morning from the book of Acts. I've been mentioning that. So if you would open your Bibles, Acts chapter 7. I want to read verses 17 through 35. So would you stand as we read the word? This is uh, Stephen's commentary on Moses' life, which is fantastic. And I think it's something to, to read often as we go through this study. So in Acts chapter 7, I'm going to begin in verse 17, where Stephen says, But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And again, when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. So, Lord, here it is. Your word to us this morning, the things I prepared, break them fresh. Feed us, Lord, we're hungry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And on and on go the value, the high place that we need to keep the word of God in our minds. So bless, I pray, this time in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. So the theme of Exodus is redemption, as we've shared. Exodus pictures our redemption in Christ. If you haven't heard the last two, I hope you'll go and listen to them, because I could repeat a lot of things, and it would be such a blessing to hear them again and again and again. Exodus is going to take us through these pictures of redemption. Our first study, when God prepares a people, that's the children of Israel, for the Redeemer. When God prepares a person, that was Moses. This morning, 
I want to look at when God called to Moses and when God calls to you. So 40 years being raised in the best the world had to offer. Moses took the best the world had to offer, compared it to the worst that God had to offer, and chose the worst that God has to offer for the best, and that's always the right choice. And Moses made that choice. He was trained in, in, in the backside of a desert for another 40 years. He was relegated to this place of wilderness where God began to prepare him in a way that the world could not. So invaluable time is the time that God is using to prepare us for the calling he has in our ever-present future. God is always preparing us for the work which he's called us to. So what happened with Moses in the wilderness? First of all, he learned to walk humbly with God. Huge, huge. He learned the shepherd heart of God. He was not a shepherd. He became that in Midian. He learned in the school of experience. He experienced survival in the wilderness, which would be so important. Now, think back through this. As he's 40 years, he's learning things that would come to play in what God called him to work to do in leading the people out of Egypt in bondage. In that, he learned the lay of the land. He learned where the wells of water were located. He learned the weather patterns. So God was preparing him, even though he didn't know that. And he's doing the same in your life and in mine. The thing we need to do is be faithful to do the things God's called us to do. He's put out in front of us now. Just be faithful. That's the vision for my life. I just want to be faithful to do what God's called me to do. So hearing what God's called me to do is important. We're going to look at that this morning. When God called to Moses and when God calls to you, nothing can replace experience. I need to hear that again. Right. <laughs> Now, one of our core values, which if you're coming to CCS 101 next week, is we are not afraid to fail. We'll take ventures of faith. That comes from my, my pastor, Chuck. Ventures of faith is even a video out on it. It's, it. it's a great video. We are not afraid to fail. Are you afraid to fail? I will say in the natural, yes, absolutely. Who wants to fail? But God takes our lives and gives us a, a, this courage to do the things that we may actually fail doing, but that's God's preparing. Now, I want to give you a couple of quotes just to encourage you this morning. Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. How do I gain good judgment? Experience. How do I gain experience? Bad judgment. Amen? <laughs> Henry Ford said, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently. Thomas Edison, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. If you ever remodel a house, you'll find that out, okay? Now, John Wooden, who was the UCLA basketball coach, he was called the Wizard of Westwood. He said, failure isn't fatal, but failure to change might be. Michael Jordan, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed, unquote. And finally, you will always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So I want to say to each one of us as believers in this room, we have a God who's preparing us, and he will come through for us. In his way and in his time. He's preparing us. So do not despise the day of small things. Zechariah. Psalm 27. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah, you know this well, 40 verse 30. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. <laughs> wait on the Lord. Slow down. <laughs> they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It is incredible how God strengthens those who have no might. He adds to those things where there's nothing to be. That's what God does for us. So the lasting 40 years, God called and sent Moses. 40 years. He prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time and in his way. When God called to him, here's a simple outline of the chapters. God calls to Moses. Moses responds to God. And Moses reluctantly, notice that, reluctantly answers the call of God. He calls to Moses. It was a normal day in Mr. Moses' life. Verse 1, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here he is. He's just doing what he's been doing for 40 years. And I wonder if he was sort of planning his future. If he had his advisor. Okay, this is what we're going to do. I don't know if you go to these advisors, but how many of them actually happened the way that you planned it? A man plans his way, the Lord directs his step. God needs to be given the reins of our lives on a continual daily basis. Go about doing the normal day, the common things. That's where God will meet you. God caught Moses' attention, verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So this unusual phenomenon happens in the normal things of life. Moses is compelled to investigate it. God must be the one to reveal himself to you. If he didn't, we would never be able to see him. Never be able to know him. God must be the one who by searching can find God. If you read the book of Job, this is Job's dilemma. Well, you know, if I could just talk to him, I could just stand, and he's wondering, where's God? I, he passed, I don't see him. He can't figure out what's going on. That's always difficult. Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. There's an awareness that comes to the mind that God is everywhere present that is so important for us. Practicing, as Brother Andrew said in his book, practicing the presence of God. God is here. So the angel of the Lord, I believe this is the theophany of Jesus Christ. And you find him appearing it throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, Hagar, Abraham, Jacob, Balaam, Joshua, Manoah, Gideon, Elijah, etc. This supernatural intervening of this angel of the Lord. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, what would you do? Here's this phenomenon, here's this bush, and it's speaking to you. Moses, it's actually saying your name. Now, this call, Moses was by himself and heard it. 
May I say to you, it's very simple. This is Moses' testimony. This is what happened in that backside of the desert with a burning bush. God spoke to him. He named him. Now, I believe that there are these burning bush sort of things when God speaks to your heart, and it's your testimony. God spoke to you. That's something that happened in your life, and you may explain it, and people can't understand it, but it happened. You know it, and it's taken you into relationship with God in a way that you never had it before. How many times that happened for you? I was on a tennis court in Virginia. That tennis court became my burning bush. God spoke to me. Somebody gave me a track. It wasn't audible. It wasn't just, but it was real. It was true, and it absolutely changed my life, changed the whole direction. And Moses said, here I am. And in a sense, that's what happened. Here I am. You got my attention. That's so incredible. And it's your testimony. Be thankful for that. When did God catch your attention? And maybe it's not just once. In fact, I would surmise it's more than once. Something happened. We talked last week about this crisis. Things that happened. And God's got our attention. And then to hear our name in a sense, not like this audible. Something about what happened at that burning bush with Moses was his name connected to God. God spoke to him. He did not have to be thankful for the voice of God in your heart. Be thankful that that's happened to you. And guard it with all your might. It's happened. It's real. It's true. It's according to the word of God I get, and the gospel that God spoke to you. God named you. He wrote your name in his book of life. He said, you're mine. And he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Revelation, and they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the what? The word of their testimony. It's real. It happened in real time, in real space. And God calls to him. But notice what happens in this calling. Very intimate. Moses, Moses, here I am. The next thing God does is God cautioned Moses. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Why? Because God is there. And when, when you're in this place of God's presence, it becomes a holy place. We take our shoes off because we're earthly and of dust. And it also, you know, we're, I'm remodeling a house. And we're going to be living with my son and his wife and my three grandkids. I wish I was done with the house. <laughs> but I, I don't like to take my shoes off when I go into the house. But they have a habit of that, which is great. But I realized, you know, in order to go into a house and take your shoes off, you have to wait. You have to pause. You have to stop and say, okay, I've got to take my shoes off. I think we, we don't just rashly go into the presence of God. I've heard at times in a prayer meeting, hey, God, I have a hard time with that, Honestly. It's not, hey, God. It's holy God. I got to wait. Hold on a second. I'm coming in the presence of God. I need to stoop down and take my shoes off. I need to get my, uh, that I'm just dust and say, you are holy. 
Simon Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. See, not only does God not have to reveal himself, God does not have to stay in our presence, but he ushers us into his presence. He says, you got to think about this. you got to caution this. Isaiah chapter 61, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. This is, this is one of many encounters where God is stooped before. We bow before him, and Isaiah was one of them. And one cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door were shaken. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Take your shoes off your feet. You're in the presence of God. In the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I love this. As Mrs. Beaver is saying to Lucy, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or, or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I tell you, you know, just coming in the presence of the king, Queen Esther, and the, the scepter being held out to you and me. That we, the Hebrews, come boldly into the throne of grace and obtain mercy from God, our king. Oh, he isn't safe, <laughs> but he's a king, and he's good. And he holds out to us to enter into his presence, but take your shoes off your feet. He's holy. Now, God also comforted Moses. This is God calling to Moses. He cautions him, and then he comforted him. Comforted him. He said, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and rightfully so, for he was afraid to look upon God, and rightfully so. The God of his father, Amram, and all the father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all stood on the same holy ground with God, and they all communicated that to their children and their children's children. They know he's a faithful covenant God. They know he's the God of the living, not the dead. Amazing. He's the God who sees and hears and knows, verse 7. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrow. That is so comforting, is it not? This holy God sees and hears and knows. He's not removed. He's not cold. He's not indifferent. He's very present. He's caring. Listen, he's involved in your life. He is the God who came down to deliver them. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. Now, all their friends might see all the dilemmas, but they can't help them. God says, I'm coming down, baby. I'm coming down. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take you up. A good land, land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the, Can the, place of the Canaanites and the Hittites. These are their enemies. God says, I'm going to give it to you. God, now, God called to Moses. He cautioned, normal day, he cautions him, catches his attention, cautions him, comforts him, and now says, I'm calling you. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 9. Now, verse 10. Come now, now, therefore, I will send you. Pharaoh. Now, I don't think that was very comforting for Moses. 
I'm seeing it, but I'm going to send you. Now, as we're going to see, Moses has all kinds of excuses. Now, this is a tremendous picture of this man, Moses. What happened, Mo? Hey, Mo, what happened? Here you were 40 years ago. You're ready to take on the world. Or, yeah. And he says, wait a second. Because God said to him, I see it, I hear it. I want you to take my heart and take it to them. And you're the one that's going to do the job. So, Moses' response to God, chapter 3, verse 11. Now, these are Moses' excuses before God, and God answers Moses' excuses. Let me say to you, God will answer your excuses. In this, here are some of them. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he said, God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that, you have sent, that, that I have sent you. When you have brought the, children, the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He's saying to Moses, you're going to do it. It's going to happen. Excuse number one, who am I? God's answer? That doesn't matter. The question is, who am I? My heart, Moses. So, can we take that? You see, we may find fault with Moses, but listen, what God has done in his heart is a fabulous work of humility. That humility begins to be a little bit polluted with his pride. We'll see that in a moment. But he is at a place where he realizes, I got nothing. Who am I? And fear and insecurities have surfaced in this man who was mighty in words and deeds. And let me say, lurking in the background of all of our sort of pride is this insecurity, this tendency toward failure, this tendency toward fear. That's what, our, what sin has done to us. And Moses, God has a, a nice way of sort of unveiling all of that stuff. In I don't care how powerful someone may be beneath those things. There's the sinful insecurities and fears that we all experience, all of us. I will be with you. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you were. What matters is who I am. So I will be with you. Excuse number two. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Excuse number two. I don't know your name. This is Moses. And God said to him, Now you do. Who am I representing here? Who is it that's got this authority? What, of what character? And the name is hitting all those issues. So I don't know your name. And, no, and God simply says, now you do. Believer in Jesus Christ. When you came through the gospel, you may not have known, but now you do. Excuse me. Well, I, 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 no, God removes it. Now you do. Now you know me. You know my name. You know what I've done. And I'm sending you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
The book of Revelation, the living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day and night saying, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's God. I am who I am. I'm the self-existing one. I need no one in that sense. I am the becoming one. In other words, God will become for us whatever we need. So what do you need today? In John chapter, in the book of the gospel of John, John's gospel, seven times, I am, Jesus said, I am, I am. I am the light of the world. Do you need light in your life? I am the bread of life. Do you need sustenance? I am the door of the sheep. Do you need refuge and safety? I am the resurrection and the life. Ooh. No, it's God will become for us what we need. He calls to you to say to you, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be given to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can... You know how it goes. Jesus, I'm the vine. Stay in relationship with me. All you need will be given to you in your relationship with me. So, what shall I say? Now you know who I am. And listen, now you know what to say. I am as sent you. You come under the name of God. You come in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach the message seemingly foolishness to the world. Just bring the message. Here's what to say. The children of Israel, he has one message for them, and he has another message for Pharaoh. The children of Israel, verse 15. Thus you say the children of Israel, the Lord God of her fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Just tell them that. God sent me. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together. Say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I've said I will, and I have said I will bring you out under the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Parasites, and man, it's just out of sight. What is he saying here? You just tell, here's the message. Just tell them. And to the king of Egypt, then, you will heed, then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him. And there are two different messages that were given. One is to the God's people, and one is to the people who don't know God. But each one says, I'm here representing God. He sent me. He's told me to speak to you. So notice this. I love this. The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please, please. It's a very pleasant, like, please. Let us go three days journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even with a mighty hand. So yeah, the stubbornness of Pharaoh will be getting into that. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt. So the message is, Pharaoh, let him go. Pharaoh, repent. Egypt, repent, or judgment is coming. The message that God has for this world is repent, because judgment is coming. 
The message of God to this world is the gods of this world are empty, dead, and of no value. You can seek after them, but they have ears they can't hear, a mouth they can't speak, eyes they can't see. They're dead idols because there's only one living God. So turn from these things to the living God. Acts, the preaching of the gospel, exactly includes that. So God says in verse 22 of chapter 3, Every woman shall ask her neighbor, when this judgment comes, after her who dwells near her house, articles of silver or gold clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God wins. God redeems. How? The message. The message. To the world and to his people. Verse chapter 4. Then Moses answered said, but suppose... <laughs> We got tons of supposition. Suppose this and suppose that. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. Excuse number three. Suppose they will not believe me. This is a common trap of the enemy. What if they don't believe me? Listen, the answer is this. Moses, that's not your job. Believer, that's not your job. Your job is to do what God's called you to do and to be a witness, a testimony in your life of what what God can do. So he says, what's in your hand? So in other words, the... The answer is, now you know what to do. Preach the word and bring along with you the power of God in your life as he has given it to you to be a witness of who he is, of the message. So this rod in his hand, listen, this is fantastic. There's a whole book written on it, actually. This rod in his hand becomes the rod of God in his hand. Verse 20. Fantastic. What's that in your hand? What has God put in your life? What has God put in your hand? Annabelle has this song, it's old, it's called Ordinary People. Just ordinary people, God uses ordinary people. No, he chooses people just like me and you who are willing to do as he commands. God uses people that will give him all no matter how small. You all, your all may seem to you because little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. Oh, just like that little lad who gave Jesus all he had. How the multitude was fed with the fish and the loaves of bread. What, you, what we have may not, may not seem much. I love this. But when we yielded to the touch of the master's loving hands, then you will understand how your life could never be the same. And so he said, Deborah, I cast it on the ground. Verse 3 of chapter 4. Became a serpent. It fled. Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, now reach out your hand. It's all his hand. Just your hand and a rod. Your hand and my provision. Your hand and what I put in there. And, just, and so he sort of walks it through with Moses. And then he says, verse 8. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that you may believe the message of the latter sign. And if that's, 
And it shall be if they do not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, then you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood in the dry land. Three signs. Number one, a serpent. Listen, our message has to do with a satanic battle that's taking place. Our message, he says, leprosy, which is sin. Our message has to do with sin in the world. And brothers and sisters, our message has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it has to do with. Talk about these things. Declare them. So Moses said, Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. <laughs> neither, before nor, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Excuse number four is I am not, uh, and then fill in the blank. Answer. I never asked if you were. You may feel like I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do that. Did God ever ask you that? I look at it, Moses, Lord, Moses, Lord, what about this? And what about that? You ever have that conversation with the Lord? Or the Lord said to Moses, what about this? And what about that? I'm not. Not even in the, I'm not even talking to you about those things. I hear it like this. Moses, Lord, can I please be excused? And the Lord says, excuse me? What, what did you just say? See, God calls to us to call us to himself. He called to Moses. Now he is calling Moses to go and do what he's told him to do. You know who I am. You know what to say. And you know what to do. Now go do it. So it's like what I'm really saying is I don't want to do it. Can we get bluntly down at sin level? I just don't want to do it. How many times have I had the excuses, but really what I'm saying is I just don't want to do it. We are very good at making up excuses. But God is better at answering them. This morning, I believe the Holy Spirit would say to us, go do it. You've been wrestling around with this thing, making sure you need to go do it. You know who I am. You know what to say. You know what to do. Now just take what I've given you and go do it. I will be with you. You will, I will get you through it. You will worship me. You will see an end. You will see my work in your life. But you got to go and do it. So the Lord said to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Or, what makes the, the, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now this is tough. Pastor Chuck, I want to just, I put this up here for us to read. I'll read it. You can follow because it helped me so much in this particular passage. God has declared these things. Who made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf? This challenges my whole concept of God. This puts my heart at odds with God. Why would God allow that? God does not offer an explanation as to why. This greatly challenges my faith, but I can overcome this to where my faith becomes unshakable. If I can only have faith in what I understand, then that does not take faith. That takes only intellect. 
Believing what I cannot understand is taking that step of faith that honors God and without which it is impossible to please God. So I can believe that God created a blind child and believe that God is love and that God is just because the scripture declare that God is love and just. I am now believing something I cannot understand. How can a loving God create a blind child? I don't know. But he said he did and I believe his word. I believe him though I may not understand it. Even though I am not able to put it together in my mind, yet I can believe God. Even when God does things I cannot understand, it does not shake my faith in him. It deepens my faith in God from sheer intellect to heart faith, trusting that there is a purpose of God in it. I may stumble intellectually, but I don't stumble at his word, unquote. And I look at that, I can apply that to so many things that go on in my life. I can apply that to so many things that are going on in our nation. I don't understand it, but God's allowed that. God is doing these things, but God is God. And we know who he is. We know what we're to say. We know what we're to do. God's saying, now go. Now go. Obey. Do the things that you know I've called you to do. If God were small enough to understand, he would not be big enough to be God. I fall back on that quote also. If God were small enough to understand he would not be big enough to be God. I am so thankful that you're not God. You should be thankful that I'm not God. Now, therefore, verse 12, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. What I've been saying all along is I really don't want to do it. And so he says, basically, now stop with the excuses, excuses, and go. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, is not Aaron with Levite your brother with you? I know that you can speak well. I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, this now shows up all the time. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the sign. So he's, here's what I think we, we can read this. I can read this. Moses was now, no longer speaking out of fear and insecurity. He's now speaking out of disobedience. And thus God's response to that. Now, in so doing, he conceded by sending Aaron with him. But remember, Aaron got him in trouble. Aaron's the one who had the golden calf. Aaron's the one who then lied about it to him. So what might he have had if he had just obeyed God initially? We won't know. Some would say this is God's permissive will. I don't know what it is, but this is what happened. Listen, God will never give you more than you can handle. When he calls you, he calls to you and calls you, he will give you everything you need because you know him, you know what to say, and you know what to do. The question is, are you going to do it? We respond with all kinds of excuses. We go from fears and insecurities and then to unbelief and disobedience. We do that. So here's what it boils down to. Now you know who God is. Now you know what to say. It might be limited. You notice here, along the way, God, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to show you. Right now, I've shown you. Now go. Now you know what to do. And so now you have no excuses. That's a tough one. It requires our honesty. 
in our repentance. And God, and God basically saying to Moses, now stop with the excuse. Let's get on with, this, with, the, with life. And so he reluctantly answers the call of God. He finally surrenders his will. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt. So he goes to his father and says, hey, I got a job to do. God's called me. Do you remember the day when God called you away from your family? When all of a sudden it meant going somewhere outside the realm of what you'd been doing? You got to do it. You got to obey God. Many never do. There's areas in my life where I never did. The only place I can find the comfort and solace in that is that I know my God hasn't given up on me. He hasn't. I gotta stop going over the same reasons why I can't and why I won't. Oh, to surrender to God in simple obedience is the greatest experience we can ever have in this life. The joy of knowing I'm walking with God. The joy of knowing I'm trusting God. I'm believing God. I'm listening to God. I'm learning from God. The Lord said to Moses, verse 21, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do well. So he confirms the call. I put in your hand, I'll get hardening Pharaoh's heart. We'll get to that. He confirms his call. And that's one of the beauties I love of Peter. He said, I'll never deny you. I'll, do exa- I'll lay my own life down for you. Remember Peter? And Jesus said, Peter, will you lay your life for me? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you even know me three times. You're going to curse me. Peter said, no way. And then he does it. You know how many times? Never, never, never. Then he does it. And Jesus rises from the dead. He's at the Sea of Galilee. And he's standing there and saying, hey, uh, as they're out in the ship, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this thing. I, I failed and I'm done. And, Peter, and there's Pete, Jesus on the shore going, uh, fellas, you catch anything this morning? Peter and four of the other ones. And I think in the boat, Peter's going, who is that guy? No. Well, just cast your net the other side. All right. And shoo, the f- boat starts sinking, just like in the beginning, drawing them back. And what does John say to Peter? It's the Lord. <laughs> it's the Lord. I don't know how many times in my life someone has just pointed out, it's the Lord. And oh, the heart responds. And Peter puts on his out and he's swimming. The others are dragging the fish. Gets to the shore. And you know the story. I could go over it many times. But it's a beautiful story about God confirming his call on someone's life. In spite of absolute and utter failure. He said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And they might point the disciples or the other fish. Lord, you know I love you. 
Well then, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Feed my sheep, Peter. I got a job for you. What are you doing going fishing? What are you doing in that boat? What are you doing pouting? I got a job for you to do. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And I love the story because it ends on this note. Peter received the love of God for him and forgiveness. And what does he do immediately? He says, what about him? That's Peter up and down. There he is again. What about him? I'll never deny. These may deny. I'll never. And then he turns around to John and says, what about him? The one who Jesus loved. The one who put his, he laid his head on the, on the bosom of Jesus during the Seder dinner. I think there's a certain amount of like tension with there. And Peter said, what about him? Jesus said, hey, listen. If I will that he live until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. That's what Jesus, the call of Jesus, the call of God is to confirm to us to follow him and forget about all the other things. Forget about the excuses. So in chapter 4, verse 24, it came to pass. So here he is, he's on his way, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet. Said, surely your husband have blood to me. Now this is weird. I mean, talk about ruining a good story. <laughs> So he, let, so he let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. In other words, Moses, here's an area you haven't obeyed me. You haven't done this. His, my, his wife, they had a disagreement on raising their kids, basically. And you have Moses with this command of God to circumcise his sons. Moses hadn't done it. So he has to get his house in order. And his wife... I think what I see here, his wife loved him enough to let him do it anyway. Though she disdained it. So Moses had some substance to his marriage. We got to close. So the final thought is while God is working on Moses, he's also working on Aaron on the other side. Listen, like Jesus said to Peter, what do you care about him? You follow me. On the, God is always working in all of our lives to call us and to give us a calling. And we may be doing that together as Aaron and Moses where we may not, but we got to keep our eyes on God. We know who he is. We know what he says. And we know what we're to do. The question is, are we going to do it? I want to... Uh, to read a final little story here. I think you'll find it very encouraging. And then what I want to do is responsive reading in Psalm 91. Now, yesterday in our prayer meeting, Charlotte came to that, and at the end of the prayer meeting, about 10 minutes before, I saw she had on her phone, Psalm 91. So when people are on their phones, we like to share those scriptures. I said, do you have something you want to share? And she just read Psalm 91 because the women's group she got together with, or, right? Yeah, I had read that. And she read that. I said, that's what we're going to read tomorrow. And the very last, the close to the last verse says, he shall call upon me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. So I want to read that, but let me read this to you because I think you'll enjoy it. I didn't put it up here because I just want to read it. This is a story from the Jewish tradition. After killing the Egyptian and running away from Egypt, Moses had settled in the desert of Midian where he became a shepherd. One day as Moses took his flock to graze, one little lamb ran away. 
Moses chased after him to a brook far from where he had been. Now, this is Jewish tradition. This is how Moses came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's chapter 3, verse 1. When Moses saw the lamb drink thirsty from the brook, drink thirstily from the brook, he said, little lamb, had I known that you were so thirsty, I would have carried you to the water on my own back. After hearing that, God said, Moses is worthy of being the leader of my people. So what was Moses' outstanding quality that made him God's choice? It was Moses' willingness to go out of his way to help another creature. It was his willingness to bear a burden for the sake of another. This is what I love. Kindness, not intelligence or ingenuity, is most important to God. And it should be our focus and goal too. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, a noted contemporary rabbi, once said, quote, when I was younger... I used to admire people who were clever. Now that I'm older, I admire those who are kind, unquote. So when I think of we know who God is, we know what he says, we know what to do, if we could just work on the kindness part, it would go a long way. And I am experiencing that myself as I'm growing older. Clever's ingenuity, they're okay. But listen, when someone's kind, it melts my life. That they're just kind. He, God, who is kind beyond all measure. So would you stand as we read Psalm 91? The worship team would come out. I'll read the first and odd verses. And if you read the second and even verses, I'm going to join you on the last one. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrows that fly by day. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's worship the Lord.